Well, today, after kind of a, a three-week break, uh, we are getting back to our study of 2 Samuel. Now, when we last left off, David was just beginning to kind of establish his rule over Israel. In fact, at this point, he was really only the, the, the ruler of one tribe of Israel, the tribe of Judah. Uh, the rest of Israel had kind of decided they were going to follow Saul's son, Ishbosheth. Uh, and, and it wasn't really Ishbosheth who was calling the shots. It was actually uh, Saul's commander, his, his cousin actually, that had established Ishbosheth as king. And, and it was kind of him that was calling the shots. Uh, and so while Ishbosheth had the, the title of king, uh, Abner was really the guy behind everything. And we're going to talk more about that in a minute. So at this war, or at this point uh, in the story, there's kind of a, a civil war going on within Israel at this point. Uh, the house of Saul, led of course by by Ishbosheth, is at war with the house of David to to determine who is the rightful king of Israel. But the story doesn't really revolve around David and Ishbosheth so much as it does around their army commanders. As I already mentioned, uh, Abner was the commander of, of Saul's army, now Ishbosheth's army. Uh, Joab was the commander of David's army at this point. Now, to make all things a little bit more complicated, uh, we read, I guess, three weeks ago uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 2 that Abner had killed Joab's brother in battle. Now, it was very much in self-defense. In fact, Abner had even told Joab's brother, you know, stop chasing me, go get somebody else. But he wouldn't listen. And so finally, Abner had to fight the guy and, uh, and Joab's brother was killed. So now, Joab uh, holds a grudge against Abner uh, and is seeking revenge for killing his brother. Uh, and as you might imagine, this, this grudge match between these two army commanders ha has really just spilled out into a, a terrible civil war. Uh, the, the first verse of chapter 3 kind of sums this all up by saying, That was the beginning of a long war between those who were loyal to Saul and those loyal to David. You know, that's certainly not the, the kind of succession plan any kingdom wants to have. Uh, the transition from Saul to David was not going very well. Uh, and sadly, as we pointed out in our message uh, the last time, Abner really was the driving force behind all this conflict. Uh, had he accepted God's choice of David to be the next king, uh, so much of this could have been avoided. Uh, but because of his own you know, selfish ambition is really what it boiled down to, he plunged the nation into a needless civil war that resulted in great bloodshed. And as we're going to see next week, uh, ultimately his own demise. Uh, so we're going to get into it. But before we do, let's pause here and pray and ask God to teach us something new from his word this morning. Dear God, we thank you so much that we can gather in this place and we can open up our, uh, your scriptures, which have been preserved for us for all these years, uh, and we can, we can read what uh, actually happened all these years ago. And, and they're not just a, a history story that we can uh, learn a, a lesson from, although that's certainly true, uh, but it's your word. Uh, you've preserved these things for us. You want to speak to us through these things. And so I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us through your word, uh, allow my words to come out clearly so that you can do the work in everyone's heart, uh, prompting us and urging us to, to make those decisions in our lives that line more uh, up with how you'd have us live. So we just thank you for all these things. Pray that you'd be with us during our time today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we are going to pick up where we left off last time. So chapter 3 of 2 Samuel, starting at verse 1. It says, That was the beginning of a long war between those who were loyal to Saul and those loyal to David. As time passed, David became stronger and stronger, while Saul's dynasty became weaker and weaker. 
All right, so even though uh, Ishbosheth and Abner, they had the support of the 11 tribes of Israel, and, and David only had the support of, of Judah behind him, uh, over time it became clear just who was the stronger leader. Now, whether this was you know, due to David's leadership or his, his military skill or, or just the, the people's general opinion of David, uh, whatever it was, maybe a combination of all those factors, but however it came about, David became stronger and stronger and the house of Saul became weaker and weaker. But interestingly enough, while the house of Saul became weaker and weaker, Abner, within the house of Saul, became stronger and stronger. If you jump down to verse 6, we read, As the war between the house of Saul and the house of David went on, Abner became a powerful leader among those loyal to Saul. Now, to be clear here, Abner wasn't just you know, gaining popularity amongst the, the people that he led, but rather this was Abner intentionally positioning himself to become more and more powerful. And I think the, the New Living Translation kind of fails to capture that idea, but the NIV makes it more clear. Uh, they write it this way. During the war between the house of Saul and the house of David, Abner had been strengthening his own position in the house of Saul. All right, so, so Abner was intentionally putting himself, positioning himself to have more and more power and influence uh, in the, the dynasty of Saul. Uh, even, you know, we, we noted even back when, when Abner was Saul's commander and they were chasing David all around the, the wilderness trying to kill him. Uh, even back then, Abner's primary interest was not the, the interest of Saul, was not the, the interest of the kingdom, but it was his own interest, right? It was, it was a pretty uh, self-centered motivation that Abner had even back then. And that becomes even more clear to us uh, in these verses ahead. But just before we get there, I do want to just jump back to verses 2 through 5, which we skipped over for a moment. Uh, these verses might not contribute very much specifically to our story today, uh, but they certainly contribute to the story of David in general. So I do want to touch on them briefly. Let me read them for you, starting at verse 2. These are the sons who were born to David in Hebron. The oldest was Amnon, whose mother was Ahinoam from Jezreel. The second was Daniel, whose mother was Abigail, the widow of Nabal from Carmel. The third was Absalom, whose mother was Maka, the daughter of uh, Talmai, king of Geshur. The fourth was Adonijah, whose mother was Haggith. The fifth was Shephatiah, whose mother was Abital. The sixth was Ethraim, whose mother was Egla, David's wife. These sons were all born to David in Hebron. Now, just as I glance at these verses. It seems to me that the writer uh, of 2 Samuel here is deliberately pointing out how David's sons all came from different women. I don't know if you noticed that as we read through that. Uh, and that's not even all of them. We're going to read a little bit later on in this chapter uh, about his first wife, uh, Michal, uh, and then uh, Bathsheba. She comes onto the scene much later. And of course, this was never God's design, right? The Bible is clear that God's design for marriage uh, and, and family in general is that it works best when there's one man, one woman for life. Anything outside of that leads to strife and suffering. And this becomes very evident as we read through David's story. We'll read some, some very specific stories a little later on about how this all plays out. Uh, we'll read about how uh, Amnon actually rapes his half-sister, Tamar, uh, and then how Absalom kills Amnon in revenge for that. Uh, and then, of course, that all leads to Absalom uh, leading a revolt against uh, David uh, and eventually getting himself killed. Uh, and then we can read about how Ad Adonijah uh, attempted to steal the throne from David's other son, Solomon, a little later on after David passes on. And, and it's just 
The, the whole rest of the story around David is just, just a mess. And it's all caused by David's failure to live according to God's design. And so I think if there's, you know, if there's a lesson for us in all of this, it's that if we choose to live in any way outside of God's design and plan for our lives, we will experience pain and sorrow, right? And that's not even taking into account, you know, God's, God's discipline and how he tries to correct us, but that's just the, that's just the natural consequences uh, of trying to, to live against the design of God, right? It's kind of like trying to defy gravity, right? I mean, you can, you can try and you can walk off the, the roof of your house if you like, but you're, you're going to experience the painful and the natural consequences of that choice. And I think that's a, a, the similar principle in the spiritual realm. If you choose to disobey uh, God's design, for, uh, for example, regarding marriage, you, know, you can expect some, some painful and, and some natural consequences because of that. You know, if you choose to disregard God's instructions regarding you know, being honest and telling the truth, likewise, you're going to experience the natural and painful consequences of that. Uh, anytime we choose to act against God's design and plan for our lives, we will reap the, the natural, painful consequences of that choice. It's, it's like uh, Galatians 6-7 tells us, Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. You know, it's just like how, you know, when you, uh, when you understand and you follow the, the laws of nature, like gravity or, or momentum, right, we can stay safe and we can even use those things to our advantage, right? In a similar way, when we understand and we follow the, the laws of God, we will avoid so much pain and suffering in our lives and we can live the kind of lives that God designed us to live, lives that are full of joy and, and peace and satisfaction. You know, God's way and God's design for our lives really is best. You know, believe it or not, he knows what he's talking about. He doesn't just give us a, a whole bunch of rules to, to make our lives difficult and miserable. He's just trying to tell us how life works best. And so I guess my encouragement to you in this little section is just to listen to him, right? Trust that God knows what he's doing. Uh, if he says something in his word to, to do something or to not do something, you know, it really is to our advantage to obey. Uh, and that's a little bit of a, a rabbit trail from our story, I guess, but I, but I hope you put some thought into that. Uh, we really need to learn that God's way truly is best. I know even for us who've been Christians for a long time, and we have this in our heads, but sometimes we don't quite believe it in our hearts. So I would urge you uh, to really trust that God knows what he's doing when he gives us the instructions that he does in his word. But to get back to our passage here in Samuel, uh, we can continue reading now in verse 6. It says, as the war between the house of David and the house of Saul, or the house of Saul and the house of David went on, Abner became a powerful leader among those loyal to Saul. Or as I said, the, the NIV puts it, Abner had been strengthening his own position in the house of Saul. One day, Ishbosheth, Saul's son, accused Abner of sleeping with one of his father's concubines, a woman named Rizpah, daughter of Aiah. Abner was furious. Am I some Judean dog to be kicked around like this? He shouted. After all I've done for your father Saul and his family and friends by not handing you over to David, this, is this my reward that you find fault with me about this woman? 
May God strike me and even kill me if I don't do everything I can to help David get what the Lord has promised him. I'm going to take Saul's kingdom and give it to David. I will establish the throne of David over Israel as well as Judah, all the way from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south. Ishbosheth didn't dare say another word because he was afraid of what Abner might do. Now, there's a few things that we need to point out in this passage. Now, first of all, this was a very serious accusation that Ishbosheth puts against Abner. Now, this is not just about you know, sexual promiscuity or, or anything like that. To sleep with a former king's concubines or wives or anything like that uh, is really equal to declaring yourself to be the king. Uh, this is actually exactly what Absalom does when he rebels against David, uh, kind of chases David out of the city. He goes up on the, the roof of the palace, sets up a tent so all of Jerusalem can see what he's doing, and, and he sleeps with uh, David's concubines so that everybody knows that he intends to be king. Uh, and so when Ishbosheth here accuses Abner of sleeping with one of King Saul's concubines, he's really accusing him of treason, uh, of declaring himself to be king. But what's interesting here is that we're never actually told if Abner did this or not, right? Ishbosheth accuses him of doing this, but we're never told if the accusation is actually true. And there's arguments that can be made to lead us to believe either way. Uh, based on the, the previous verse, saying how Abner had been strengthening his position in the house of Saul, you know, it wouldn't be unexpected or out of character for Abner to make a bid for the throne, right? He knows that Ishbosheth is a pretty weak leader, uh, very much a, a puppet king controlled by Abner anyway. And so perhaps Abner did make this strategic move to, to try to take over the kingdom. And of course, as you read the passage, Abner actually never denies the accusation. He just gets really mad. But even, even his anger can be interpreted in a couple of ways. Now, obviously, Abner is, is furious, it tells us, and he declares that he's going to do everything he can to hand the kingdom over to David. Uh, so that might be evidence that this is a false accusation. You know, perhaps uh, Abner is just so, so indignant and, and even hurt that Ishbosheth would make this accusation against him. Uh, you know, after all Abner has done for Saul and his family, you know, that would certainly make sense. But then again, maybe this angry reaction isn't about Abner's hurt feelings uh, by a false accusation. Perhaps it's much more of a, a reaction to Ishbosheth's questioning of Abner, right? In essence, standing up to Abner. Uh, perhaps that's what made Abner so upset here, is that the, the, his puppet king has now questioning the puppet master. Uh, but then we have to ask the question, well, well, then why would Abner vow to, to hand the kingdom over to David, right? Wouldn't that kind of defeat his own purpose of, of, you know, maybe hoping to one day be king if that was his intent? Perhaps, but uh, I think we have to remember what we read in, in verse 1, that even though Abner was growing more powerful in the house of Saul, the house of Saul itself was growing weaker and weaker against David. Uh, and so maybe Abner saw the writing on the wall and, and he realized it's really only going to be a matter of time uh, until David has control over the entire kingdom of Israel. So where does that leave Abner? Well, I guess that depends. If Abner can be the guy that hands the kingdom over to David, well, perhaps David will look kind of favorably upon that, maybe even reward him in some way. Maybe Abner could be David's commander of his armies one day, possibly. And so this really could be a, you know, it could be a winning strategy for Abner either way. I mean, whether he can take over as king, you know, and maybe have a peaceful negotiation with David, that would work out pretty good. Or maybe he could be the guy that just kind of hands the kingdom to David under Ishbosheth's nose. Either way, you know, he's got a pretty good chance of coming out on top. And so uh, we read in verse 12, 
Then Abner sent messengers on his behalf to say to David, Whose land is it? Make an agreement with me, and I will help you bring all Israel over to you. Good, said David. I will make an agreement with you, but I demand one thing of you. Do not come into my presence unless you bring uh, Michal, daughter of Saul, when you come see me. Then David sent messengers to Ishbosheth, son of Saul, demanding, Give me my wife Michal, whom I betrothed to myself for the price of a hundred Philistine foreskins. Now, just to refresh your memory on all that, uh, back when Saul was still kind of pretending to like David, uh, he promised David that he could marry his daughter if he would only kill a hundred Philistines. Saul's thought, of course, was that David would hopefully be killed in the process. That would save him all that problem. Uh, however, David was up for the challenge and not only killed a hundred, but killed 200 Philistines. Uh, and so Saul was obligated to give his daughter to David as his wife. Um, but then, when Saul began to be more open in his aggression towards David, David had to flee, and he left behind Michal. Uh, and Saul then, I don't know how this all played out exactly, but he somehow chose to, to give that wife to uh, another fellow named uh, Paltiel. However, now this is all in the past, uh, Saul's killed, uh, and so David demands that his wife be returned to him. Now, quite often in those days, when there's, there's two warring countries uh, and, and they're looking to establish peace, they would have a, a marriage between the ruling families, right? The, maybe the, the son of the one king of this nation would marry the daughter of the king of this other nation or something like that, uh, really just to, to establish uh, peaceful, friendly relationships. This was, it was kind of a symbolic and, and hopefully a guarantee of peaceful future relations. And so perhaps this is a little bit of what David is doing here, at least partially, I think. Uh, I, would, I would guess that David still loved Michal uh, as uh, his wife. Um, we don't see any evidence to believe otherwise. And since Michal was the daughter of Saul, uh, I think it would be a very clear and, and symbolic gesture for all of the nation of Israel that David is pursuing peace with the house of Saul. And so this would be a win-win for David for sure. And actually, Ishbosheth seems to think this was a good idea as well. Uh, verse 15 says, So Ishbosheth gave orders and had her taken away from her husband Paltiel, son of Laish. Her husband, however, went with her, weeping behind her all the way to Bahurim. Then Abner said to him, Go back home. So he went back. And again, this is just a, another little reminder of what we just talked about earlier. It was never God's design for you know, multiple husbands or multiple wives. Uh, God, God never intended for families to be torn apart. Uh, God knew that this only leads to, to hurt and, and strife and, and all kinds of trouble. This is why, why God tells us so clearly. Uh, in Mark 10, 7, for example, it says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. You know, God doesn't define the boundaries of marriage as, you know, one man, one woman for life for no good reason, right? He doesn't just arbitrarily come up with that. He gives us this command because he knows if we try to live otherwise, we're going to result with, with hurt and sorrow in our lives. And I think Paltiel was, was certainly experiencing that, as I'm sure David and Michal had earlier when they were torn apart. 
Now, to be clear, God is certainly eager to, to forgive us and, and to redeem any of the, the choices that we've made in our lives. I mean, God is uh, amazing that way. He can take the, the biggest, most, most painful mess that we've made for ourselves, and he can redeem that and bring about so much good. I mean, that's, that's really the heart of the gospel. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The whole reason Christ came to earth and, and died on a cross and rose again from the grave was to save us from the consequences of our own sin. He came to redeem us and, and to give us a, a second chance at life. So no matter how badly we've messed up or how much pain we've caused ourselves or others, God can, can forgive and, and can redeem all of that. But of course, all that being said, it is so much better for us if we can follow God's design for our lives uh, in the first place, right? And avoid all of that, that pain and suffering and mess that comes with that. And I think that's one reason why it's so important that we teach our kids to know and to trust that what God says in his word is true. Uh, If they can learn to, to trust God early in life, man, they will save themselves from so much sorrow as they grow up. And, uh, but again, I, I digress. Uh, I'll, I'll get back to our story here. But I do urge you to make sure that your kids not only know, but they trust that the word of God is true. Uh, so anyways, after David is reunited with his wife, Michal, Abner continues to make good on his promise to hand the kingdom over to David. And we read in verse 17. Meanwhile, Abner had consulted with the elders of Israel. For some time now, he told them, you have wanted to make David your king. Now is the time. For the Lord has said, I have chosen David to save my people Israel from the hands of the Philistines and from all their other enemies. Abner also spoke with the men of Benjamin. Then he went to Hebron to tell David that all the people of Israel and Benjamin had agreed to support him. Now, this is really interesting. Now, first of all, Abner acknowledges that the elders of Israel have wanted to make David their king for a long time now, right? He also acknowledges that the Lord has chosen David to be king over Israel. Well, who was it that stood in in the way of all that in the first place? It was Abner, right? He was the one who established Ishbosheth as king. Uh, he was the one that led Israel's armies against the armies of David. He's the reason that Israel's been thrown into this civil war. And now he presents himself as the solution to the problem, as if he wasn't the problem in the first place. Ah, uh, this guy. But that's not all. Let me read on. Verse 20. When Abner and 20 of his men came to Hebron, David entertained them with a great feast. Then Abner said to David, Let me go and call an assembly of all Israel to support my Lord, the king. They will make a covenant with you to make you their king, and you will rule over everything your heart desires. So David sent Abner safely on his way. Now, for the sake of time, I'm going to stop here for today. There's quite a bit more to the story, so we're going to take at least one more Sunday to kind of get through this part. But I do want to point out one last thing. Again, I find it interesting that Abner presents himself, even to David, as the solution to the problem, right? In his mind, he is the kingmaker, right? He's got the power to give David everything his heart desires, he says here, right? And that was the same approach he had with Ishbosheth. He was the one to give Ishbosheth the kingdom, and he would be the one that would take it away. You know, I think from what I've read in these chapters about Abner, I would say that he probably had an overinflated sense of power and control. 
which is sadly ironic because as we're going to read next week, uh, before this day was through, he wouldn't even be alive anymore. Uh, as it turns out, he had absolutely no power or control, which is actually the case for all of us. Uh, this is a good reminder. You know, as humans, we, we continually strive to have power and control uh, over our own lives. We, we manipulate and we control the people around us. We, we work hard to make sure that everything works out in our favor, you know, be it in relationships or our job or whatever it is. We invest so much time and energy trying to be in control of our own lives. But in reality, we don't have that power and control at all. The Bible is clear that God is ultimately the only one with power and control. You know, as Job so eloquently put it uh, in the old King James Version, he says, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, I, I think Job understood, much more so than Abner anyways, that all power and all authority originates with God. Right? God is the one who, who establishes kingdoms and dynasties, and it's God who brings them down. The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. You know, and that's true in, in all realms of our lives. You know, whether it's our jobs, or our families, or our relationships, or, or our health, or even our, our very own lives. The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. And I think really understanding that can be a, a great relief for us. I mean, who else would we want to have control over our lives? You know, would we want a good, all-knowing, all-loving, all-powerful God who loves us so much that he was willing to die for us? Wouldn't you want him to be in control of your life? Or would you rather have yourself prone to, to foolish, selfish, and sinful choices be in control? No, I think we can have a great sense of peace knowing that, that it's our God who has control and power and authority over all of these things. We need not fight against him for control over our lives, or even fight against anyone else for that matter. We can simply trust our God and trust in his goodness to work out all things together for good. 